This week, I'm joined again by Jeremy Ray, the superintendent at Bitterford Schools. I want to have him back on to talk a little bit about the budget process. It's a little bit different budget, as you'll hear us talk about, than years past. The funding that we're getting from the state isn't as much as what I think that we need to have an even budget. So it's a little bit different. We're going to talk about why that is. If you're into that sort of thing, definitely check it out. I think you'll learn a lot. I certainly have through the process. So this is the Randy Forcier podcast. You can do me a favor, subscribe on Spotify, Apple, or YouTube. And if you can follow us on social media, on Instagram, Facebook, that'd be great too. Appreciate all the support. Thank you everyone for listening and watching. Here's Jeremy. All right. So we are in the middle of budget season right now. And from what I can tell, it seems like one of the more challenging budgets, at least since I've been on the committee and maybe since you've been superintendent of schools, what's different about this budget season this year from years past for you? Randy, there's, there are several differences about the budget this year. Over the past uh, several years, we've been very fortunate with the funding formula and how the valuation of the city of Biddeford has creeped up quite a bit, but it's been manageable. And also the fact that the state funded 55% of education for the first time. But now that we're at that point and we're seeing increases that occur in health insurance and in salaries and in utilities and all of the things that every family would experience, now it's created a little bit more of a different budget situation. Mm -hmm. And it's not as simple as just an expenditure for an expenditure situation because that is up this year. Yep. But it's also the fact that the city of Bedford has changed so much, and that is based off property valuation, mm -hmm. that that's where this funding situation gets a little bit more interested for us. And I can talk more about that. Yeah, it's been eye-opening for me. Do they revisit this every year? The state will dictate how much we get, but this year it's really hit us hard compared to even the past couple of years. So the funding formula has been pretty consistent for the last 20 years based on the mathematics to calculate the distribution of state money to municipalities. What's changed so much for Biddeford is the rise in valuation of an individual property. Yeah. And that, Randy, doesn't necessarily mean that all of this new property occurred and, and new value. It's just the fact that, Randy, the house that you live in or the house that your neighbor lives in has increased in value of what you could sell it for fairly significantly in the last three to four years. So one of the things that's really interesting about property valuation in Bitterford, and you see this as working in the, in the mortgage industry, is that in the last three years, the value of all Bitterford properties has increased the, the town in total by 36%. And that's $956 million looking at the list. Correct. Which is a significant appreciation. And people don't even realize this, but Biddeford has the third most or the third highest real estate value in all of York County behind York. That's at 5.9 billion wells at 4.4. And then we come in at, at third with just under 3.6. So that's a sizable growth in the past. Yeah, year. it's 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 very significant that Biddeford is the third most valuable town in York County. Mm -hmm. And when you look at an example that I've used for the school committees is that in 2020, January 2020, the city of Biddeford was $14 million less valuable than Saco. Mm -hmm. 
And we know that over the last three years, home prices in Saco have risen dramatically as well. And the value has increased dramatically in that community. But when you look at today, three years later, Bitterford is valued at like 390 plus or minus million dollars more than Saco. Yeah, and so, so when that value increases, what's challenging for a homeowner is that you didn't do anything different to your home. Mm-hmm. It's just worth more. <laughs> and now you're required by the state to pay more for education. Yeah, that that positive thing in all of our lives is worse for our schools. We'll get less money from the state of Maine because our values are that much higher. Right? Correct. And then when you couple that with the other variable in that formula is student enrollments, which I don't know I don't know how we've done in that compared to other schools, but in general it's we're not we haven't grown our school enrollment. We've definitely no. stayed flat or lost some in that past few years. So you have two variables working against us right now when it comes to how much money we're getting from the state of Maine. Yeah, so when you're looking at the student count, which have decreased over time, and we're much like every other community in the state of Maine that has declining enrollment. You know, in the 10 years that I've been here, we're probably about 300 students different than than it was 10 years ago. Because we're at what, seven something, 720 something, 750 something? Actually, I'm thinking just the high school. But how, high many, school. how many across the whole district? Like two so across the district, we're at about 2330. So it was like um, in the 26 is when you first got here. Yeah, it was 26, 27 when we first got there. And it's, mm-hmm. and, it, and it's never like what people sometimes will get confused about is like, why do you not have so much uh, less of a cost with declining enrollment? And it's because when you have declining enrollment, it's not targeted typically at one area where you can say, okay, we just lost 100 students and they were all in grades one and two. Mm-hmm. It's five or 10 here, 20 here this year, and it's spread across your system. So it doesn't necessarily create large savings. And we've tried to balance class sizes year over year. And and that's what some of our good budgeting in the past has come from. And now you're at a situation where you have a lot of different factors that are creating an increase to the school budget. This school budget asked for nothing new. Yeah. And it's just keeping up with all of the costs for that are raises, benefit costs, utility costs, all adding up and coming together. So when you look at our expenditures, what is it, 85, 86% of our cost is in salary and benefits to our employees? Yeah. Our- so, so the biggest piece of our salary and benefits cost is you've got about 77% just salaries and benefits. Mm-hmm. And then we have another 7%, which is the bond payments on the high school and middle school. Yeah. So when you look up at the entire budget, you've got 84% is tied up into those cost factors. Mm-hmm. So you've got another 16%, and a lot of that's just utilities. Yeah, which we um, all know. Everyone can relate to that. The cost of everything has gone up from heating buildings to keeping them powered and everything else associated with that. Yeah. And so that's what makes this budget a whole lot more challenging than some of the other ones that we've had. When you put all those factors together with the rising cross and then a decrease in state subsidy, it makes the spread even further. Yeah. So it's a unique situation for you to have to present that to city council, which you did last week. And where are we at with the budget? So what happens next between now and that's finalized? 
So the next piece, Randy, as you know, we'll be reviewing as a finance committee later this week mm -hmm. to talk about how we got here, what are the driving factors. And then at that point in time, I'll have some items for reduction, mm -hmm. knowing that we received a little bit of good news this morning on health insurance costs, yep. and hopefully it will only get better. Mm -hmm. But to try to present something um, that will say to the city council and to the community, it says, mm -hmm. hey, we're, we're cutting every corner that we can without having to cut services to our students. And historically, we run a pretty lean ship and, and do as much as we can. But it's such a bigger fundamental problem for the funding of education. And that's the real conversation that needs to occur with elected officials is how do we create greater influence on a review for the funding formula yep. based off some of the factors that occur here in Biddeford and across the state. One of the things that we, we've discussed privately, and you may have mentioned in a meeting, but the idea of the funding formula being made up of valuations, student enrollment, and how one aspect that we could see things helping is if we took average, or I should say mean income of a community and added that as a third pillar to that funding formula. Obviously that would benefit a community like Biddeford, but it might not benefit some other community. So that kind of has to work itself out. But what are your thoughts on that? So I think that, you know, that's the, the next piece that we have to explore. Mm -hmm. When we look at cost per student spending in Southern Maine or, and across the state, you will find Biddeford and Sanford right at the bottom of what we spend per student of about uh, 13.8. When you have students like Cape Elizabeth, Kittery, Kennebunk, which would be RSU 21, spending upwards of 18, 19,000 before this budget even starts. Yeah, the state average for, for cost per student is 16,000. Yeah, we're at 13.8. Stanford's the only one lower than us in the area, 12.8. And the highest is RSU 23, which is a lower 24,000 a kid, York 21,000 a kid. So it's crazy to think how far we can make our dollars go. But I mean, at some point, like we need more money. Yeah. And I think that's the hard piece because, you know, if you looked at saying, saying to me, hey, Jeremy, what could we do with even spending on state average of another, you know, $2,000 per student, mm -hmm. you know, that would go a long way to supports that we would have not only in in the educational setting, but upkeep of our buildings and maintenance and repairs. I mean, that would be a significant change for us. What should I think of that cost per student as someone that's part of the Biddeford community? Like, should I be proud of the fact that we can educate our kids for 13000 per kid or should I, and, and we're able to run so efficiently, or should I be upset that we're on the bottom end of that. I guess I don't know how to feel when I look at that number. Yeah. I, I think it's a little bit of a catch 22, Randy, and that, and that you should probably feel both ways. Mm -hmm. You should feel proud of the fact that, hey, the elected officials in town are trying to do everything that they possibly, possibly can to keep the rates kind of low for our taxpayers. Mm -hmm. At the same time, I think we have to look at ourselves and say, okay, what kind of things could we be providing to our students that may occur in other communities. I mean, you simply take a thousand, let's say a thousand dollars more per student times the students we have. And at $2 million, how many different programming could you put into, into the school department? Mm -hmm. What's important to remember about that number, Randy, is that debt service is not included in that number. And we spend a lot of money based off the, the fact that the city of Biddeford took on 
the high school renovation project and paid for that locally. And when you walk through our buildings in our community, minus JFK, comparative to other districts, we should be really proud about what we have for quality of facilities. So we have spent some money in those areas to make sure that, you know, the long-term costs, and we still have one problem to kind of deal with. Mm -hmm. But but I think it's a, it's, it's a bit of both, Randy, of that you got to be proud that we managed it well. On the other hand, thinking about why is it so different that just between two communities that I'm both the superintendent of, there's a difference in funding. Yeah. Yeah. Like Saco is at 16,000 above the state average, 16,400 16, per student. So yeah, I mean, I guess, like you said, I, I am proud of the job everyone's doing to make it work with that. But yeah, I would be lying if I said I wasn't you know, wishing that we could spend more money per kid. But then again, that hit, that hits the taxpayer. And correct. And that's, that's a whole other thing. Cause we're at a point right now, the budget that we presented, there's a shortage. So that's going to be one of those few times where, you know, that could hit the taxpayer and we have to be aware of that. Yeah. And we've, you know, over the last 10 years, we've created such a limited tax increase on the education side. You know, the other piece that when you look at the percentage of mill rate, that goes towards education in this community compared to others in New York County, we're on the bottom side of that too. Okay. So our share of the mill rate on the education side is less than every other community. Well, then that probably speaks to why our cost per kid. So correct. And I think this is just going to be new for Biddeford to it, to deal with as the value of town is only becoming more and more valuable in the next couple of years. But I think, you know, when you also talk about budget increases, and at this point in time, we're up a couple of million dollars, more, you know, two and a half million dollars. And comparably to surrounding communities, we're still kind of on the lower end of what they're increasing. Yeah. When I listen to communities saying, yeah, we're at eight or 9%, we're at 12%, we're more than that. Mm -hmm. Um, it's just our principals and everybody on staff has done a good job to try to be as you know, conservative with spending as possible, but we are really running up against it at this point in time. And I think what would be difficult is that you know, we talk about the things that we're proud of here and the transformation that the district has and the town and all of those pieces. And it's hard to think that we would take a step backwards with all of the things that we're doing. And, you know, we still have some challenges that we have to address with our buildings and, you know, maybe can actually get a little bit more efficient in the future. Yeah. But costs for health insurance and salaries are going to continue to go up and we have to think about how that plays into the taxation situation. So the budget that you put together assumes 8% increase in health insurance. That's like the number that you use every, every year, which is, that's an incredible increase every year. If you just look yeah. back at 10 years to think how much that's increased. But like you alluded to earlier, we got some good news that it's looking like it won't be any higher than 6%, which helps us come in a little bit lower on Correct. the road. That, that saves $90,000 right there. Mm -hmm. And it and could so, be even less than that, but they just, it, it's weird how it works. I don't quite understand this world, but they'll like come and tell you like, hey, it's not going to be more than six. We're not going to tell you what it is yet, but at least you kind of know that that number's changed a little bit. Yeah, in two weeks, by April 7th, we'll get the real number, but we know that there's a cap of 6%, which, you know, that will add towards an instant reduction that we'll have on that side of the equation. And, you know, hopefully we can get a couple hundred thousand dollars more so that we can bring something down a little bit lower and and see if, you know, 
people will understand that this is a step in a process and our real work is advocating for a change in the formula and a review of how much money the state as a whole puts towards education and what that plan would be. When we talk about 55% funding, which people who watch this will hear in newspapers, news, whatever, that legislation was passed in 2004. And we finally reached 55% last year. What does that even mean? I'm, I'm feeling an idiot even asking that question, but what? Yeah. So what it says is that for the total cost of education, which is a very, it's a number that is based off how much the state through the funding formula thinks should be spent, takes valuation. In 2004, they said the state should be responsible for 55% of the cost. Yeah. And as they do that, you know, it took 17, 18 years to meet that goal. Well, conditions in our economy and taxation and living have changed in those 16 years. Yeah. Maybe 55% was the number in 2004, but is that the same number and is the method the same to fund education as in 2004? And my guess is that it's not. That's changed. I did reach out to some reps like we've talked about, and one of the uh, people from Kennebunk that represents that district did send me something that says they are reevaluating the funding yeah. formula. It sounded like yeah, the, the wheels of legislation move very slowly. It sounds like it wasn't going to be reviewed until December of this year. So who knows when a change would actually be impacted. But it's nice that they are at least reviewing it. I don't know what that means, though, moving forward beyond that. I suspect what that will mean is a, a committee of people, uh, whether that be consultants and or sitting superintendents and others to to look at the math behind that. Hopefully over the summertime, I chair the funding committee for superintendents association. So I'm hoping that I'll have a seat at that table when and if that happens so that we can really talk about, you know, the challenges that exist here in a community like ours that is a, a lower receiver than some communities that have much less students living in poverty. Mm -hmm. Our free and reduced lunch rate in Biddeford is 57%, and we receive 37% of our funding from the state. A community like Cumberland, North Yarmouth, which has 3.7% poverty rate. Yeah. So, it's like completely yeah, different. Yeah. Totally different. The highest medium income in the state, and they receive 47% of their funding from the state. And that... And, and that's the factor that doesn't make a lot of sense to me. But then if we reevaluate the funding formula, we're asking a community like Cumberland yeah. to not uh, to give up money. So it's, you know, there's all these conflicts of interest and, you know, there's winners and losers in those situations. I just, I don't know how it moves forward, but I guess that's someone else's problem to worry about. Yeah. That, and that's the hard part with the funding is that it creates winners and losers. And we just have to have the conversation about what the values of the state is going to be. I'll look forward to hearing about that. So we're at this point where we're going through the process. We get another month ahead of us before it's finalized, but it looks like there's going to be a shortage. What happens if the city council, and I don't think there's any indication that they would do this, came back and said, we need to, I don't know, even it out or make it so it's just like the budget's even. There is no loss to hit the taxpayers. What does that mean that you have to turn around and do or we have to turn around to do? And is it even possible? So... Again, in every situation, it's easy to put together a spreadsheet of numbers and 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 cuts that is there um, on a spreadsheet 
with no impact on students and no impact on staff, you, you know, that task can be done. I think what we need to know as, as city council is that have major impacting on programming. Mm-hmm. And that um, means when you say impact on programming, that means we cut programming, which means we cut teachers and yeah. It's... And I think that's the piece that that's hard is that when so much of your budget is salary and benefits. And when we look at this increase, we've, we talked about it at the city council meeting the other night and they're in the same boat and, and, all of, the, all of the, the people sitting on the city council have been down this road before, but this was in salaries, mm-hmm. health insurance, other benefits, and utilities. Yeah. So there wasn't like you were asking for something new and shiny sitting off to the side. This is just trying to hold on to what we have. And so if we have to go much further, that means that positions are there and, and on the table. And we hope that we can come up with a solution together to figure out how this is a tough year and get through this piece because our students in our schools, we can't have less in the teachers. We can't have yeah. less of transportation or bus routes. Our kids come to school with a lot of challenges each day and we need to be there for them as a community. Yep. Yep. That's fair. So when's the budget finalized with the City Council. Is that something that happens in April? So that will happen the middle to end of May when it's finalized with the City Council. And then on the second Tuesday in June, we come to the polls and the community gets to voice their opinion on that budget, either yay or nay. nay. Mm -hmm. With a pass, we move forward with what was passed by the City Council. If, If a budget goes down, then we're back working with the public and working with the city council to find a number that hopefully is acceptable to the taxpayers. Cool. So I guess if you're listening to this, obviously stay tuned for all that information. As far as other school projects go, what's the status of, of the different things that we have going on? Obviously JFK closing next year. What, what else is going on? Any changes to anything that we've maybe previously talked about on the podcast or in a school committee meeting? No, we will be hopefully opening the bids on the vocational expansion on April 11th, mm-hmm. and that will dictate some of our next steps moving forward to see how much federal funds we have available. And then we'll really start hitting the ground on looking at what we can do with, at JFK, whether that be in the short term or until we're able to add an addition on Biddeford Primaries. My hope is that we will go in November to talk to the voters about the cost between the gap between what I have for federal funds and local mm-hmm. funds that are needed to fund that and look at kind of the math of how closing a school saves some money on electricity and other things versus the payment that it would be to the new wing. So we have enough classrooms there, but that will be more summer and fall conversation. When are we hoping to have that vocational project done? The vocational project is, is one year from kind of when we break ground this spring to having complete. So that will open in the fall of 2024. Yeah. And hopefully during the 24-25 school year, we would be looking at opening the addition to Bedford Primary School if all goes well. Mm-hmm. So a lot of big things coming up in the, yeah. in the next year and a half or so. I mean, it's always something, right? It's, you know, it's, it's never yeah, a dull it, moment, it seems like. No, there's always a bunch of work to do. And I think that, you know, what people can recognize is while there are some short-term costs to some of these projects, it's really a lot of it is designed to increase programming and to avoid a longer term, greater expenditures uh, mm-hmm. from operating, 
more buildings or having to replace an entire school. Construction costs for new schools, probably something the size of JFK, could be upwards of $20 million in this climate, and we can do that for probably less than a third of the cost. Yeah, by being strategic about the wings that we're going to build and the new project. Yeah, um, yeah absolutely. Yeah, it's it's sounds like something that's very well thought out and smart. So look forward to hearing more. I want to encourage people that are listening to this to come to school committee meetings, listen to them, listen to city council meetings. I know I've learned so much. I mean, it's been three, three, four years on the school committee now. And I feel like even just now I'm learning more and more as we go. It's like, I feel like people have a duty to learn more about this stuff. So I would encourage them to come to sit in some of these meetings. So. Yeah. And if people have questions, encourage them to reach out or groups. Certainly if there's groups of people out there that would like to learn more, I'm happy to come and talk about the process or talk about those plans or come to meetings or just give us a call and stop in at the office. We'd love to talk through things. Cool. Thanks for coming on the pod. Your repeat guest at this point. Anytime right. you have something school related, I'll have you on. We'll chat about it, but it's good information to get out to the public. So I appreciate you doing it. All right. Well, thank you very much, Randy.